This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Damien Richards talks about an early church father, St. John Chrysostom. What did Father Damien learn from reading St. John Chrysostom's writings? What does learning about this saint tell us about the times in which we live? Well, let's find out. Father Damien is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Toman. I'm happy to have in front of us Father Damien Richards. He was ordained a priest on June 6, 1992. He currently is the pastor of St. Nicholas of Myra and Hayes and St. Francis of Assisi and Munger. He also teaches 8th grade religion at Thomas More Prep Marion Junior High School. Father Damien, good to see you. Good to have you in the studio. Good to be here. Wonderful. So we are going to be talking about St. John Chrysostom, and this is fitting well with our theme for Faith of Our Fathers. So, Father, who is St. John Chrysostom? When and where did he live, and what was his background? Well, uh, he was Archbishop of Constantinople, which was where the uh, Roman Emperor lived when he was alive. Uh, He lived in the 300s. I uh, was born around 349 or thereabouts, and he died in 407. And so the most people don't know this or don't realize it. By the time Constantine became emperor, they moved. The emperor didn't live in Rome. Uh, he moved, and he moved to a separate town, and Constantine founded it and named it after himself, and it's Constantinople. It's where Istanbul is today. And so that's where the emperor lived which meant that if you're archbishop there, this is a big influential post because all the court was there and this is where the decisions were made for the empire. Uh, He was a desert monk before he became an archbishop, so he has a strong ascetic quality, was fond of fasts and, you know, bodily disciplines and things like that. How did you come interested in St. John John Christism? Well, speaking of having faith of the fathers... Like right after I got ordained, I'm a reader, and so it's like I realized I need to read the church fathers. You know, I need to read the doctors of the church. And so I decided that that's what I was going to do, and I'd start with the original guys. There were eight fathers for the early church, and so I just started. I either found a good biography about them or found the thing that they wrote and read that, and so I've been working my way through it ever since. So this is when I got this Perfect. book. Okay. I got my book on uh, John Chrysostom. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, is that he's a great preacher, and the homilies that he wrote, they're really good. I mean, I was also in high school. I was in drama and did speech, speech and drama stuff. And you like reading a good good dramatic reading and this was it and so it's like it's really powerful and so that's why i wanted to choose him and to give you an idea of uh, how old he was or what was going on at the time Mm -hmm. uh, when he got ordained christmas hadn't been invented yet okay i mean that's how old this is (laughs) easter easter's always been celebrated they've always done easter because that's the day christ was resurrected from the dead but they hadn't been celebrating his birth. And then in the 300s, that's when they started celebrating Jesus's birth. And we have, this is his, I have it right here. You can download it online. (laughs) We have his first Christmas homily that he gave his archbishop of 
and he even introduces it along the lines of, we've been doing this in Antioch for about 10 years or so, and now we're going to do it here in Constantinople, and we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus was born. So, I mean, this is all brand new stuff. Also, this is why, point of trivia, everybody loves to think that Christmas is the most holy day of the year. You know, Christmas is the most special time because of the secularization of Christmas. And when we say, no, Easter's more important, this is kind of proof. It's like, well, Christmas wasn't celebrated until the 300s. Easter was celebrated in 34, you know, (laughs) the the year after Jesus resurrected. They gathered together and celebrated it. So you couldn't Uh, gather for things. You couldn't do, we're going to do Advent and everything, or processions or anything, because, yeah, you'd get killed. So... (laughs) But you had to gather for Easter because Easter was Easter. So. Yeah. What was um, he known for, and why did he earn his nickname, which I'm, I'm going to ask, yeah. what is his nickname? Well, his nickname, as uh, Chrysostom, is his nickname. Yeah. The other thing, back in the time of John Chrysostom, only rich people had last names. Uh, if you had, like, power, then that was your family. But everybody else... You were known by your name. You were known by your job. You were known by your dad's first name. You know Peter's son or something like that. Sure. But uh, and John Chrysostom, it wasn't from the Chrysostom family. Chrysostom means golden-tongued in Greek because he was a really good preacher. I mean, he was just John the preacher, Archbishop John. That's all he was. And part of being a good preacher, uh, he would preach for like two hours. And, I mean, I've been using his homilies. Two-hour two homily, Father? Two-hour <laughs> homily. But, I mean, I've read his stuff, and, yeah, you can t- – I mean, this is tiny print and really and really long things, but uh, you really wouldn't mind two hours. Of course, back then, one of the things uh, – homilies were entertainment – is that you would go and, well, we heard John Chrysostom's in town, or, well – He's going to be preaching this weekend, and so let's go hear him. I haven't heard a good homily in a while. And you go and you listen to public speakers, and that was part of the entertainment. So you were expected to go for a long time. And the other thing is is that he didn't write any of this stuff down. It was all extemporaneous. It was all off the top of his head, and so he'd go for two hours. Now, you may ask, how did we get all of this stuff? Mm Because go on New Advent – New Advent website, mm-hmm. and which is a wonderful website. It is. Because uh, it's got all the church fathers, and it's got everything they've ever written or everything we've got. It's all right there. And you know, you go to John Chrysostom, and there's just all this <laughs> stuff. And it's like, well, where did they get it? Well, what they would do is people would – there would be people writing them down as he preached – and so they would transcribe it, and then they would save those. Uh, the other thing is, back then, your mem- people's memories were much better then than they are now. Because now it's like, well, I'll shoot. I think Donetta is even taping this. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you see, back then they wouldn't tape it. You would just listen to it. Right. People could listen to a two-hour homily and then be able to repeat it. I mean, their ho- yeah. their their memories were that good that they. Well, could, yeah, but that's how they got his homilies and how they wrote them down because they said, oh, this is good stuff. I can use this again. And monks would use it and store it and save it. So, How did he die? <laughs> well, he died to – he's not a martyr, so which was kind of rare. He was of the generation – well, Christianity was now legal, so uh, you weren't persecuted or you weren't executed yeah. for it. But he did die in exile. 
And the reason why he died in exile is, is that he really didn't care who he uh, got upset. Uh, he wasn't afraid to tell the government that what they were doing was wrong. And we can do that. This is the beauty of living in the United States of America. We have the First Amendment. And if I think the government is doing something stupid, I can say, I think that's a stupid thing. Mm-hmm. And they can't go after you. They didn't have that back then. And if John Chrysostom would say, now what you're doing is wrong. Uh, what is it? A couple of quotes that yeah. I found from him. We must not mind insulting men by respecting them. We offend God. Mm. And mm. Uh, only those who do not fight are never wounded. Wow. So it's like – and there's this wonderful picture of him preaching. And it's, uh, it's John Chrysostom and the Empress Eudoxia. And they have him stand – the painting is, is that he's in a pulpit. And he's just going to town. His hands are waving around. And you can tell he's just shouting. And he's looking. And up on the balcony where the empress, emperor gets to sit, there's the empress. And she is standing there just stone cold faced, staring down at him. And he's just, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Uh, he famously compared her to Jezebel to call the empress, well, you're just like a Jezebel. And what are you going to do to me? <laughs> because what you're doing is wrong. I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of courage to be able to do. Yes. Uh, and so that's the picture when I, when I tell the kids, okay, we're going to read a thing from John Chrysostom. I always flash that picture up on the screen <laughs> because John Chrysostom told it like it is, and he really didn't care. The other thing is, is that um, he fought against Simony. And Simony was and this named after Simon the Magician from the book of Acts. And Simon the magician saw Peter uh, conducting miracles, and he went up to him and he said, I want to have that too, give me that power. And Simon said, well, it's not up to, Peter said, it's not up to me to give, it's the Holy Spirit, it'll happen or it won't. And Simon the magician didn't understand and said, well, I'll buy it from you. And it's like, no, you can't do that. And so uh, the, the custom of, well, if you, if I pay the bishop money, then the bishop will ordain my son and put my son in a cushy parish where he's got access to a lot of money that he can funnel the family's way. That happened a lot in the imperial city because they were there to climb the corporate ladder. And John Chrysostom, who was a monk, didn't like that. And so he would fight against simony and he would depose bishops. It's like, well, you're no longer bishop because I don't need someone that I can't trust. Uh, and the phrase he used, another wonderful quote, the road to hell is paved with the bones of priests and monks and the skulls of bishops are the lampposts that light the path. I've heard of that. I've heard of that line. Yeah. yeah. It's a great like, line. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. But it's also, you know, you need to do this. Absolutely. Back then, all the money in the parish went to the pastor or went to the bishop. That was just his. And he was supposed to take care of the parish with it, but it was his money. You know, that ain't the way it works now. I mean, priests get paid a salary, but the money belongs to the parish. And so it was much more blatant there about the abuse that that happened. And so he fought that. And that's one of the reasons why they it's the holy spirit guiding folks you need someone who's stern at the top to say no don't do that absolutely to inspire people to do other things so absolutely um, also this ties in with mm-hmm. 
gives you an idea of why he offended the rich and powerful. Because <laughs> uh, and also your quote about it ain't just late, you know that holiness is for everyone, not just for a monk. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you cannot find Christ in the beggar at the church door, you will not find him in the chalice. And not to share our own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our own wealth, but theirs. That, okay, I have all this money because I worked hard, but it's not, he's saying, no, that's not your money. That money belongs to the people in need, and you have to be taking care of them. You have an obligation to take care of these people. That's what he was saying. Yes. Uh, or the, the, the good one, the, pos- the way to praise it positively is the rich man is not one who is in possession of much, but one who gives much. Very that if you're going to use these gifts, you've got to use these gifts to help build up the kingdom. You can't just say, oh, goody, it's all mine. Absolutely. And then he would go after people. Because in government at the time, Julius Caesar said this, that uh, when, when you're appointed a governor of a province, you have to earn three fortunes, one for yourself, one to pay off your debts, and one to give back to Rome. So everybody kind of viewed, oh, all right, if I'm in charge, well, that means I get all the, I can get as much money as I want. Also ties back in, you remember the story of the tax collectors mm-hmm. in the Bible? And one of the reasons tax collectors were unpopular is any money that they collected above and beyond what Rome wanted, they could keep. That was their keep, yeah. So it was in their incentive to, well, we're just going to keep collecting taxes, and then they were always very well off. But... John Chrysostom is saying, no, that's not the way it's supposed to work. If you're in a position of authority, you have a responsibility to take care of these other people. And if you're just going to blow that off, it's like, no, to, like, by respecting you, we're going to offend God. <laughs> and uh, so we're not going to do that. We're going to fight this. Absolutely. And so because he was upsetting the apple cart, and that's one of the reasons why he ended up in, uh, he ended up in exile towards the end of his yeah. life. Father, real quick, since, again, he, he was Archbishop of Constantinople, so I, I think, and again, correct me here if I'm wrong so I don't, I don't, I don't lead the information astray here, but I, I remember reading a story of St. Gregory the Great in mm-hmm. that he, like, didn't want to, well, I think it was Gregory the Great that was Pope, right? Like, he didn't want to yeah. be Pope. He was like, he was like, like in the 400s. With St. John Chrysostom, did he have any... <laughs> I've you never know, heard him write anything of, uh, I really don't want to do this, but okay. I wouldn't be surprised. What would you think of our culture today? Uh, he'd say, Christians, you think you're being persecuted. You think it's hard. Oh, come on. You know, like, grow up. Uh, to, like, he would say, quit your whining and get on with your life and, like, go out and start taking care of the poor and do what you need to do. Um, as uh, I mean, I just see that. Of, uh, it's like, oh, if we don't speak up, then we might get in trouble. It's like, well, I got exiled. What's the big deal? And we have legal protections that he never had. And so he was fine with, well, if this is the price I got to pay, this is the price I got to pay. There are other spots. Um, there's this catechism, and this was that got me really excited for TMP. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he pointed that, oh, this is, uh, he wrote a catechism, and it was for people who were joining the church, which ties in rather nicely when you're teaching eighth grade religion, because here in Hayes, we confirm in eighth grade. And so... You want to talk about, all right, what are the implications of you're going to be receiving the sacrament? And it's like, well, let's see what, and I'm a big believer in, well, let's go to the classics. And so, well, what did they write? And uh, this is what he was talking about. If you were, uh, 
No one is injured in regards to their soul if we do not injure ourselves. If someone has taken away your money, only your money has been injured. An injury to you is a chance to turn the other cheek. And so it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm being persecuted. Well, you should rejoice because that means you're going to be like Christ. Uh, If you are insulted, only your worldly reputation suffers, which means you are in the company of Christ who was reviled by this world. So, I mean, there's nothing higher than being reviled. So if Christianity is under attack, well, then great, because Christ was under attack, which means you're more like Christ. And when you return the insult, then you've injured yourself. So what he's saying is, is that in these opportunities, these persecutions, or when people look at you funny, or, you know, you feel awkward and out of place because you're doing the Christian thing and nobody else is, it's like, well, this is your chance to unite yourself with Christ. So rejoice in the fact that the world isn't Christian, because it gives you more of an opportunity to unite yourself to him. Messes with my head, but it's a really – this is part of what it, how he's a good speaker. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I never thought of it that way. And also, you know, if something bad happens to you, you are not in sin. So if this is an opportunity for you to grow in grace, and it's only up to you if you choose to respond in an injured way. You know, if instead of turning the other cheek, you decide to punch the guy, well – then you fell into sin, but not because he was persecuting you. And so this is how God takes everything, even bad stuff, and can turn it to your good. So that's what he was pointing out with this. Uh, Virtue does not need wealth, power, or glory. It only needs a sanctified soul. And uh, elsewhere, poverty is more conducive to piety than wealth, and work is more conducive than idleness. That it's easier for someone who is poor to be pious and to try to be following Christ than someone who is rich because if you're rich, you're tied up with the things of the world. You want to go along to get along. Uh, you know, you have all of this stuff and, well, what would happen if I can't afford to keep paying for this? So, well, I'll just make some moral compromises along the way. That's what he's pointing out. Um, and work is more conducive to idleness. Is like, well, if I'm working for it, I know – you know, I know the value of hard work. I know how hard they're working. I know they need to idleness. You know, idle hands are devil's playground. Yep. No, you know, no. That, that's no, where that no, is. No. And so that's part of why he's a good thing. <laughs> and I use him in class at TMP. That's where it's – and this is the beauty of all the stuff that he has written is, all right, I decided on a whim. Well, what does he have to say about confirmation? And like – Found all sorts of cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things I found, it's, uh, it was this homily on Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, that's the uh, pretty much our earliest reference to confirmation, is uh, that they hear that there are Christians in Samaria, that people have been baptized in Samaria. And so Peter and John go down to visit with them about it, and then they find out that They've been baptized, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so they came down and they laid hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. That's confirmation. And so it's Acts chapter 8. And so it's like, well, what does he have to say? And this was what started it. And in this, this is the best thing, (laughs) because I finally figured out, after 28 years of priesthood, I finally figured out why you separate baptism and confirmation why there's a beauty in 
baptized as a baby, first communion in second grade, and then confirmed later on. I hear, the disciples heard, this is John Chrysostom, the disciples heard of the good works being done in Samaria and the longing to be confirmed in the Spirit. So John, John goes on to ask, great signs had been done in Samaria, how had they not received the Spirit? Well, they had received the spirit of remission of sins in baptism, which is correct, you know, because your sins, original sin is wiped away. Yeah. But the spirit of miracles and confirmation they had not yet received. For as yet the spirit had not fallen upon any of them. They were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so that's a wonderful thing. Confirmation means you'll get the spirit of miracles. You'll be able to go hmm. out and do miracles. Well, you can that's see the beauty of it. It's yes. like... Yeah. Uh, like, what is it? Uh, the gift of the Spirit is conferred by degrees, that it's bits and pieces at a time as you need it, and that you need, um, you need forgiveness of sins first. Then, after you've matured some, then the Spirit will come upon you again, and then you will be able to do more things. Uh, and so there's like, oh my gosh, this makes sense for why you want, to, why the bishop wants to be involved, and why the because in the Orthodox the priest will bap, baptize, confirm first communion, but in our in the Western tradition the bishop wants to come out and do it. And there's another phrase because uh, I've done this as a lesson plan that in the Old Testament in Exodus they talk about how Moses. Uh, like Moses was getting ready to go up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and they give a direction, don't, go, don't anybody go near the mountain. Touch it and you will die. And they even give directions of like, if somebody touches the mountain and you have to kill them because they touched the mountain, you can't touch him or else we're going to have to kill you too. So we ha we'll, we'll stone you to death or shoot you with arrows because you know this is so sacred you can't touch it so moses goes up the mountain he comes back down and this is the part they always kind of skip in the 10 commandments movie <laughs> is that when moses came down the mountain his face was radiant and it because he had been he had seen god face to face and his face was so radiant that people couldn't look at moses's face it mm, it was yeah. too bright and so moses had to wear a veil and then when he would like go into the tabernacle and, and go into the tabernacle and talk to God, he'd take the veil off to talk to God. But when he'd go outside, he'd have to put the veil back on or else it would freak people out. And in the movie, Charlton Heston, they just give him highlights in his hair. That's the way they make it work. But you see, that was how powerful the spirit was, an indirect picture of God. You know, just looking at the suntan on Moses was so powerful, I can't stand it. And then, of course, there's that famous passage with Elijah, you know, that uh, I will be passing by, you know, and he wasn't in the fire and he wasn't in the wind and, you know, all that. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the tiny whispering sound. But the detail everybody forgets is that Elijah knew God is out there. He then covered his face and went out because he knew he couldn't look on God. See, in the mm -hmm. Old Testament, you looking on God would kill you. Now, with Christ... We can look at Christ, you know, we can adore him, we can consume him. And it illustrates this, this whole thing and what John Chrysostom pointed out to me is that, okay, it's being conferred by degrees. In the Old Testament, if you looked on it, it could kill you. Now you can consume him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's fine and it's healthy. And same thing with why confirmation needs to be where it is or why there's a wisdom in it is – well, you're not ready yet. 
Uh-huh. You know, if we gave you the Holy Spirit now in pure, unadulterated form, it would kill you. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. We're going to do it by degrees. Yeah. And it's also a level, especially, you know, it's the, the classic line, you know, confirmation is you're becoming an adult in the church. Uh, and we don't really understand what that means. But the idea of is you will be able to the, you will receive the spirit of miracles when you're confirmed. And it says you will now be able to go out and do miraculous things. And are those miraculous things going to be uh, – you know, are you going to be healing people? Are you going to be like, you know, being slain in the spirit yeah. or any of that? Probably not. Yeah. But it does mean you will find the courage to step up. You will find the courage to say what needs to be said. Like the miracle, you will be able to do the miracles of changing people's hearts. Yes. And that's what I've discovered in 28 years of priesthood is the greatest miracle is the changing of hearts. Because, you know. How many grandmas listening to this radio station right now have somebody that they're praying for yes, because yes. the kid is going off doing stupid stuff? Absolutely. Yep. And she's told him it's stupid, and he goes, yeah, right, Grandma, and he just keeps on going. He has to change his heart. That's right. And so that is the greatest miracle is the changing of hearts. And so that's why I love using this. Of uh, yeah, And so it's like, this is what I wanted to share with them. It's like, God's going to give you the spirit of miracles. God's going to give you incredible things. He's been preparing you this whole time, and now this is going to happen, and things are going to change. Yeah. The other thing, this is part of the spirit of miracles, because uh, he was talking about Matthew 28, you know, which is go out and baptize, baptize, yep. uh, baptize Great in the name yep. of the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's like, uh, what difficult thing does Christ ask us to do? Do we have to split mountains or fly into the air or swim across the sea? He is asking us to live a way of life so easy it requires no special equipment or skill, but desire only. The apostles went forth with just the clothes on their back and the shoes on their feet, and they conquered the world. Wow. So, like, you know, we don't have to split mountains. We don't have to fly in the air. And so, and how difficult are these injunctions? Have no enemy, hate no man, speak ill of no one. The opposite of these things, seeking out enemies, nurturing hate, speaking ill of your neighbor, those things generate greater hardship. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about St. John Chrysostom. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. St. John Chrysostom. With Father Damien Richards. George Toman conducts the interview. Dorking out on St. John Chrysostom with Father Damien. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to keep going, though. Where uh, are you okay. going? Uh, well, it's, uh, this is why I started using him in class at TMP, because it's important to go to the classics and to use that stuff. And you have to edit the, you know, the two-hour homily that he wrote off the top yes. of his head. You've got to edit that down a bit sure. so that yeah. it's a digestive, so we can talk about it in a 40-minute class. And as you can tell, there's a lot of cool implications out of some of these things. Um, oh, and this ties in also with your, uh, 
with your quote from the catechism, the thing mm-hmm. you posted inside. Uh, like This is what he said. God will crown us as saints in heaven for following these simple commands. He does not tell us to raise the dead or cure the lame, although some have been able to do so in Jesus' name. He asks us to spend at least a part of our wealth on the needy, to seek for yourself nothing more than is necessary, lead a simple life. For thus shall we both live our life here without trouble and in security and enjoy eternal life. To, you know, that He's not asking us to do incredible things, but the things that he's asking us to do can change our lives and can make us saints in heaven. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Father, in terms of, I want to get to this, how about talking about being pro-life. You have this in your notes here. I want to oh. bring that out. Yeah, with, with, with Well, John this was one, uh, and to give you an idea, uh, in the ancient time, in the ancient world, there was a thing called exposure. Okay. Have you heard of it? I, I have not. You have not heard no. of exposure? Okay. Uh, what exposure was is that if you had a baby and you didn't want the baby, you would take it out and leave it in a field. You take it out to a field, you'd leave it in the field and walk away. Mm, okay. And it was exposed. And if Somebody came along and found the baby, great. If somebody didn't and it was eaten by coyotes, well, you know, not my, hey, it was alive when I left it. So what more am I supposed to do? Hmm. And uh, there are traces of it, and sadly, exposure happened a long time. Uh, Anytime there is a Hansel and Gretel, the fairy tale Hansel Uh and Gretel begins with exposure. Because why did dad take him out in the woods? He took him out in the woods wow. because they couldn't feed him at home. So dad was going to expose Hansel and Gretel out I, in the woods. I didn't connect those dots. Wow. He was going to leave right. them. That's, that's, that's what a, exposure that's the, that's was. Oh, okay. And that was considered an acceptable thing to do back in uh, ancient times. Uh, the other, and so that was going on. And they also, uh, abortion was sadly very common. And we just got done studying the Didache in eighth grade religion <laughs> and in the dedicate because it's also talking about so you want to be somebody you want to join the church here's what you got to do which is very handy for confirmation <laughs> for confirmandi all right yes. what does it mean to be what does it mean to be an adult in the church what yes. does it mean well this is what you have to do uh, the Didache famously said that uh, christians do not abort babies and christians do not expose and John, the, uh, John Chrysostom, he went on and said, to destroy the fetus is something worse than murder. The one, the one does this that does not take away life that has already been born, but prevents it from being born. And so once again, where do Christians come up with this whole thing? Why are you guys so uh, pro-life? Why are you so anti-abortion all the time? Well, we've always been. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's that, always been that it's part way. of our tradition, right there. Yeah. And that's one of the things because pagans didn't have a problem with it. If the child got in the way, we'll get rid of the child, and so we'll expose the child, and then sure. it'll be it. The other thing that Christians would do in that time is that they would take in exposed babies if they would find a baby. They were called foundlings. That's what a foundling was, is that somebody had exposed it, and so you took it home and you raised it as your own. And Christians did that. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Christianity was able to survive and thrive, because you know, uh, pagans didn't like Christians, because the reason why they didn't like Christians is we were all atheists and we were all cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> we were atheists yes. because we didn't believe in the Roman gods. God. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so, well, you're atheists because you don't believe in our gods. And we were all cannibals 
um, because what do we eat yeah, every eat Sunday? Yeah, eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they would say, and they would say, well, yeah, sure, that's a metaphor. No, because you know, you talk to a, you talk to a Catholic who knows his faith. It's like, well, surely that's a symbol. No, it really is body, blood, soul, and divinity. And back then, it was the same thing. It's like, well, I'm sure it's a metaphor. It's like, no, it's really the body. It's really his. His flesh. And so people would get the story mixed up and they'd go, well, where is he getting the human flesh? Oh, my God, they're cannibals. And, then, well, and so they would try to persecute us for those reasons. Yes. But then they would see us taking in babies and raising them as our own and giving away the money we had in order to take care of our neighbor in need and uh, living a simple life and working hard. And it's like, well, okay, they're atheists, but, you know, I mean, because <laughs> uh, Paul would say that elsewhere. Paul said that in the New Testament about how we pray for our emperor and how we are good citizens, you know, how we're part of this world. Um, you know, what, real quick, Father, what makes this, you know, your talk here so, so fascinating to me personally is just, I think about today's issues, and again, I get caught in the trap, you know, it's like, you know. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Absolutely. They've gone through it before. What they had to went through, what they went through is much worse than anything we're going through. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, we're just fighting the same battles that they've always had. Yep. Confession and the love of Mary. You want to highlight those two real well, quick? Well, these are kind us? of just quotes that he has that are just really good quotes. Uh, for confession, be ashamed when you sin. Don't be ashamed when you repent. Now, of course, confession back then, oh, and then uh, let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again, for forgiveness has risen from the grave. That's a nice line. That's a great line. I like that. I'm stealing that. The poetry of his language is just What did confession look like back in those days, Father? I want to share that. (laughs) Confession was, you are never going to gripe about having to go stand in line ever again. You know the story, don't you? I do not know the story. You do not? No, no, no. no, Oh, my gosh. Father, I I I may know a little bit, but I don't know. A lot there. So uh, yeah, okay. Please share, share it here. Well, the way confession worked, uh, for one thing, and this is still true today, venial sins were forgiven at Mass. Uh, you know, that's the uh, the penitential rite at the beginning of Mass. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. You know, that forgives venial sins. Of course, it's still good to confess venial sins in confession, because if you leave venial sins alone, they're going to become mortal. Like, you should confess them. But back then, the way it was is that, okay, your venial stuff was taken care of, but they did have a big debate about how many times could we go to confession because they honestly thought, you know, that, you know, you know, John John Chrysostom was talking about what baptism will do to you and how it will change your life, that they honestly thought, well, once you're baptized, you're not going to sin. And the Emperor Constantine, he became Christian, but he was an RCIA up until his deathbed. He was a catechumen until he died, until like a month before he died, and then he was baptized because he knew that emperors have to do nasty stuff. And so he he didn't get baptized. He didn't he didn't get baptized until towards the very end. So they decided, okay, well, we'll forgive your sins, but the way you would, and you got to confess them. And the way you would confess them is, is that you would stand up in front of church. Congregation was there. You would stand up in front and you would say, here are the sins I have committed. <laughs> he, you would confess the sins. And you, if members of the congregation, they were encouraged to help you. Don't forget, you do this. Okay. <laughs> Don't forget that. 
Now, of course, you had to be careful with that because if you were shouting out, if I was giving helpful points to you about don't forget you have this tendency to sin, well, there would come the day when I would have to get up and confess and then you would. So you you didn't really want to do that sure, too much sure. for fear yeah, of getting kind of, embarrassed. Yeah. But yeah. you would confess your sins, and then the bishop or the priest there would say, all right, here is your penance. And the penance would be like fast for a year. And you would, yeah, but that's <laughs> yeah. how long the fasts were. And yeah. you would stand outside the church doors every Sunday, and pe- you weren't allowed into church. And you would stand outside, and people would come in, and you would say, please pray for me while you're there. And so they would come in and they would pray for you while you were outside. And then on Holy Thursday, on Holy Thursday, they would welcome you back in. The the bishop would absolve you of your sins and then you would be able to receive communion again. I mean, it's that's really hardcore. Now, of course, the sin, they worried there were three big sins that they worried about murder, apostasy and adultery. Those are the big three that. Uh, you know, for us, missing Mass on Sunday is a mortal sin, and it's correct, but they didn't really worry quite so much about missing Mass on Sunday. It was, did you kill anybody? Did you commit an abortion? Did you help somebody with an abortion? That would really do it. Were you faithful to your spouse? And then did you abandon the faith? Because apostasy would happen, especially in times of persecution, because because what they would want you to do, it's like, well, just worship this emperor, just worship the statue. And you don't even have to really believe it. Just do it. Just do it. And if you do it, we'll make life easy for you. And there were many a Christian that would go, well, you know, okay. When a persecution would break out, they would say the reason why things are bad is all these Christians aren't worshiping the Roman gods like they're supposed to. So you got to go worship a Roman god. So they would bring you out into the town square and they would say, you have to go and bow down to this statue. Well, you know, there's a plague or something, and so sure. there's a drought, and the reason why is you're not worshiping them. And there were many a person that they would do this because if you didn't, well, we'll confiscate your lands, well, we'll arrest you, well, we'll sell your family into slavery, and they're going, well, I don't want to do that, so it's like, well, okay, there, you know, like, all hail Jupiter. Yeah, there, yeah. good, I'm safe. All right, and then so what would happen is, is that the persecute and now the, while that was going on, some Christians would worship Jupiter, and they were allowed to go on with their lives. They didn't lose anything. There were some, like the martyrs, who refused. And so they were arrested, they were exiled, they were sold into slavery. All this awful things happened to them. And then the persecutions died down, as persecutions always do. And then the guys who were worshiping Jupiter to get along... They showed up at the church door wanting to come back to Mass. Mm-hmm. They wanted to receive communion again. And your grandma died in exile because she didn't abandon the faith. And this guy shows up and he wants to come back in. So you see, uh, that's, no. that would be a very difficult thing to forgive. And so that's why apostasy was considered one of the really big sins at the time because of that. And so, but that's what confession was. And so that's also why he's encouraging that. So be ashamed when you sin. Don't be ashamed when you repent. You're standing up there confessing your sins. That's you at your greatest, trusting in Christ the most. Where can someone learn about St. John Christensen? Well, uh, New Advent is a wonderful thing. Uh, For the uh, weak of heart, because they'll just, (laughs) here's all of this raw data from from the ancient church. So... uh, you know, better to like, you can even Google like, here are good little quotes. 
and you know, just quotes of John Chrysostom about certain subjects, and they're really powerful. Thank, as you can tell, it's very inspiring stuff, and I steal it all the time. I mean, I've yeah, used it. Wonderful. I've used it in my Christmas homilies. I've used it in my Easter homilies of you know, Christ is risen from the dead and his rhetorical tricks. I steal it all the time, but it works. Yeah. And uh, the reason why he inspire he reminds us that there are greater things out there than just us or just our world. Uh, that there is a hidden world, there's a spiritual world that's there, and we have neglected it. And that we need to open up our eyes to see, you know, the miracles that are going on, uh, the miracles that it's are in front of us, the miracles we can do. Because we don't think they're miracles because, oh, well, shoot, all I did was go and visit somebody. All I did was go and talk to somebody. It's like, no, but that changed their life. Absolutely. Stop We've seen that. And yes. that's the Holy Spirit prompting you. And he's saying, that's not just, you think that's just a friend? You think that's just coincidence? No, that's the Holy Spirit inspiring you to say what needs to be said to the person who needs it at the right time. And that type of thing we need. Because, you know, we can all we can think about is how hard life is or... You know how difficult things are for me right now, and it's like, no, there's bigger things going on. So. Yeah, coming about Father Damien, I just I want to say thank you. You know, this is this is great to end our day today, yeah. Father Damien. If you would please, could you leave us with your blessing? Oh. In the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, through the intercession of Saint John Chrysostom, uh, may God's blessings come upon you. May the Holy Spirit inspire you to go forth and spread the gospel by your words and by your deeds. And may you trust always in Him, that Christ may be with you and watch over you and protect you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Folks, heaven is not seen, and neither are these airwaves. But if you can help support this radio station and help save souls for heaven, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsberg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KBDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.